Welcome to the Runners Connect, Run to the Top podcast, where it's all about learning from the best minds in the sport so you can train smarter, stay healthy, and run faster now. And now your host, Lucas Felton. Well, hello, fellow runners and those of you that are training for marathons. Thanks for joining me for this special edition of our podcast and this interview. I'm your host for today, Jeff Gaudet, and I'm here with Evelyn of the CarbSane blog to talk about marathon nutrition and specifically the product you can. Evelyn is a research scientist who loves delving into the actual scientific studies of nutritional products, specifically those that deal with carbohydrates. Given her very practical and scientific approach to nutrition, I think she's the perfect guest for us since, if you know us well, we're all about the research here at Runners Connect. So in this interview, we're going to talk about the quote-unquote super starch called UCAN and whether the research studies support it being a superior carbohydrate source for marathon racing. Now, specifically, what we're looking to see is if this research indicates using this product will or should change your approach to race day nutrition. Now, we're not, gonna, we're not doing in this podcast as rec- recommending one product over another. What we simply want to do is look at the research that we have available to us, and we want to verify any claims that are made by the product, and then we want to see what we can really find. Now, as we move through this podcast, you're going to hear us referencing specific studies and certain graphs uh, that are located within those studies. These studies and the graphs, uh, along with a transcript of this actual conversation, can all be found at runnersconnect.net slash UCAN, U-C-A-N. So again, that URL is runnersconnect.net slash UCAN, U-C-A-N. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into this interview. I really think you're going to enjoy it and you're going to learn a lot. So let's get started. Well, thanks, Evelyn, so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to talk about um, you know the UCAN product and specifically um, some of the research that it's that it's shown and, and what it can be. Um, so, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Great. So, for those that are listening, um, what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about the product UCAN, which uh, is a is a product that markets itself as uh, a quote unquote a super starch, which I, I what they claim is that it, it provides a slow release of glucose source that is a low GI, so it doesn't spike your, glyc- uh, your glucose, um, and they also claim that it doesn't elicit a significant insulin response and therefore doesn't suppress fat, uh, suppress fat burning and, and may actually contribute to burning fat more efficiently as a fuel source. Uh, 
What we're going to talk to Evelyn about is some of the research that is on the UCAN site and some of the, uh, the holes that we found in the research and what she feels uh, on this subject. Um, but we're also going to try to keep it, um, you know, we're not uh, promoting one product over another. Um, we just want to make sure that uh, you, the listener, have the most, what we feel is uh, a clearer picture of the research and the actual uh, benefits that a specific product can have uh, for you and what that means for your specific training needs and fueling needs. Evelyn, where I want to get started is, uh, you know, one of the first claims that I mentioned that the UCAN product is uh, advocating or says that it can do is that it can, it, it claims that this super starch of, of theirs, that it's a patented process, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later, um, it, it, it basically says that it's released more slowly and therefore doesn't spike insulin levels um, and therefore potentially reducing the call for glycogen. Um, but you took a look at the research uh, in one of your blog posts and you noticed some anom anomalies in this specific research. Um, can you describe these anomalies in the studies and what the results mean to you in more depth? Okay, um, I think the studies that you're talking about for for this would be the ones where they compared the superstarch to the maltodextrin because um, what they did was they gave about like a 25 gram dose and then they looked at the the glucose curves and in their literature they say that the superstarch is a hundred percent a hundred percent accessible like it gets digested a hundred percent and so I, I looked at the curves of the glucose versus time so if you the area under the curve for um, is is something that um, in in pharmacology and things like that we use to look at the total exposure so the glycemic load as opposed to um, you know the peak level and if you look at the area under the curve for the maltodextrin versus the superstarch, there's kind of missing glucose there. Um, there's only about like half of the of the total response or or glucose that's in the blood after the um, after the same dose over a period of it looks like about one and a half to two hours that they that they measured it that it's that it makes sense. So uh -huh. I don't under you know I'm not seeing where um, the superstarch is is kind of living up to its uh, the claim that it is kind of a slow-released glucose source uh -huh. because it's not providing as much glucose at least according to the curves that are in their in their paper for a similar dose of uh, maltodextrin so that that was one of the anomalies that that I noticed was that um, you know it doesn't seem to be to be providing the same amount of glucose um, at all uh, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And for those that are for those that are purely listening, if you go to the the website that this page is on, uh, or this podcast is on, you'll notice that the we've posted the graphs that uh, Evelyn's talking about here. And if you look, the uh, maladextrin um, uh, formula is in uh, it's the maladextrin's in in blue, correct? Yes, the maltodextrin's yep. in blue and the superstarch is in red. So um, I don't know if you have my my curves up there where I colored in the right. triangles yep. or not yep. yeah yep. so I mean you could see like the maltodextrin has the the gray triangle is is much larger for the amount of glucose that's delivered and then you know it, it does have a, a kind of a hypoglycemic rebound as well it goes down quite a bit below baseline so I mean that may affect um, some people but in terms of the the glucose delivery there there seems to be more um, you know delivered in that quote-unquote spike 
of the the first couple of hours that that we're looking at. I mean, after after the um, you know after probably about an hour, we're not really talking about uh, the the product itself that you ingested that that's adding to the blood glucose. It's that that would be something you know what the liver is doing to to regulate your glucose level. So um, you know it's possible that the super starch formula is. Uh, replenishing glycogen stores um, at such a at, a at a more rapid rate, so that mm -hmm. it keeps things more steady. Um, I don't think that they've provided any evidence that that's the case, and I don't think that they make that claim. But that might be what's going on. But um, you know, I, it just looks to me like you don't have the digestion, um, the full digestion of this of this starch. That that's just what it looks like to me. Gotcha. So, uh, so yeah. So I think they're maybe not uh, mistaken. Is probably the bad uh, a bad word for it. But um, there's a difference between I guess it releasing slowly and then probably it not releasing all of it, the potential glycogen. Is that a, a fair way to say that? Yeah, the glucose, not the glycogen. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, glucose. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So yeah, I, I would say you know it's it's a difference between exactly. Yeah, it would be less absorption um, overall. Uh, in terms of that, not just a slower release, because if it was just a slower release, you should see kind of like that gray triangle kind of turned on its side, so you'd have, you know, a, a, a much longer exposure there. Um, and basically, what in an hour and a half? I mean, you're you're back down to baseline almost in the same time frame between mm -hmm. those two formulas. Um, a little bit closer, you're not quite back down with the super starch. It's ever so slightly elevated for what an extra half an hour or so. Mm -hmm. But um, y you're not seeing the, the glycemic load. You're not seeing the glucose. Um, so, you know, theoretically it, it's possible that it could be going into the glycogen. Mm -hmm. But um, but I you know I don't see um, usually I, my understanding is that um, the you know glucose and and fructose you know the the simple sugars are are better at replenishing the glycogen um, than anything that would be slow release. I mean that's my understanding. I'm not really into the whole exercise physiology side of things, but um, that's my understanding. So I, I would I would find it hard to believe that that the mechanism of that blunted um, glucose reading has anything to do with replenishing glycogen. Right, right. Now that makes a lot of sense, and I think I think when you look at the graphs, it's it's definitely very easy to see what you're talking about here, where that uh, you know after about an hour an hour and a half, the 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 glucose levels are are very very similar, and so it's uh, an interesting um, uh, claim that it that it releases slower. Um, and I, but also I think you know obviously the claim is also that it uh, it doesn't have as much of a spike, and it would seem that these charts are, are, are definitely show that the spike for uh, glucose definitely is not as as pronounced as it is for a, a regular malodextrin product. Is that is that correct? Am I yes? Sure? That would that would be that would be accurate. Yep. Okay. Um, and I think that goes on to our next question because um, you know the, the bigger claim from you know the the, the for the product is that. That it can, in some way, improve the ability to, to burn fat, and the and and I think it's related to that glucose spike because I think one of the reasons for um, uh, one of the reasons for those claims is that it's going to reduce the insulin response um, to that uh, because the glucose spike isn't as high. Uh, but they've also cited a University of Oklahoma study that um, says that the product itself can enhance the breakdown of fat during ex exercise. Um, it can also enhance fat oxidation, 
um, and an enhanced breakdown of use of fat during recovery. Um, but again, you took a look at uh, this particular study and you found some anomalies again. Um, and this is, uh, I believe, the, the second uh, group of graphs that you, um, that you talked about. Um, so let's start with, uh, you know, what's, what did you find in the results or what did you find in those results that you, uh, that you found that they concluded that might be at odds with um, what maybe the UCAN product is claiming? Okay, well, the, the biggest thing is that they're uh, confusing fat breakdown, which is lipolysis, mm -hmm. with um, fat oxidation or fat burning, which is uh, the, the beta oxidation. Okay, so um, fats, in order, to be, in order to be burned, have to be broken down from triglycerides. So the triglyceride is broken apart and released into the bloodstream as the free fatty acids, and those are the ones that can be taken up and then go into the mitochondria and are burned. But the fact that a fatty acid is released does not mean that it's going to actually be burned. Um, so what, what they show on their website, uh, and, and I could not find this study um, anywhere on, it, it said it was supposed to be presented at some proceedings, but I'm only going by what is in a, a, you know some summary findings that um, uh, Jeff Volick has in, a, in what I call a white paper uh -huh. uh, on background and then the, the graph that, that comes from the UCAN website. Uh, so they're, they're looking at um, the, uh, what, what you're looking at with the graph is, um, is the NEFA, that's the non-esterified fatty acids, that's the free fatty acids. So yes, um, there are there, the free fatty acid levels go up m more and statistically significantly more uh, following the superstarch versus the maltodextrin. Um, and this would be expected because yes, um, insulin would cause, if you ingest uh, carbohydrate, um, it should, it's supposed to kind of knock down the free fatty acid release from your fat cells because you have glucose around to burn. Uh -huh. um, so um, apparently the, there's, there is not enough of an insulin spike from the superstarch to suppress the free fatty acid release. And you can see in the graph uh, that, uh, you know, yes, the free fatty acids go significantly higher. Um, and in this ex in this one, they're actually were exercising for 150 minutes. So the the other curves that we were just talking about before, mm -hmm. um, apparently, were just uh, consuming maltodextrin and versus the superstarch. Okay. Uh, so so that that's just kind of like an oral glucose tolerance test type of a scenario. It has nothing to do with you know what would happen if you were exercising while you're doing this. So so whether or not it would um, you know provide a lot more, you know, available glucose or keep your glucose more steady during the exercise. It says nothing about that. So, okay. um, and in this study, we only have the graph for the for the fat, quote unquote, burning. Uh -huh. um, I, I don't see. I didn't see any anything for the um, for the glucose there. So, yeah, the it, it's true. Um, the non-esterified fatty acids go up. I call them NEFA. That's that's how I pronounce that acronym. Mm -hmm. um, those go up, and they go. It's statistically significant. But what I found disturbing is that um, the next line is there is also a trend towards lower respiratory exchange ratios during the superstarch trial compared to the maltodextrin, indicating increased oxidation of fat. That's what they that's what they said in the in the paper. Mm -hmm. um, whenever you hear the word trend towards Okay, without the words significant, 
uh, it means that that this difference was did not reach a level of statistical significance. Okay, so um, in in essence, they shouldn't even really say anything. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah, it it would appear that perhaps there's a little bit more fat burning going on um, where the the respiratory you know exchange ratio maybe maybe it's down like you know point one or something I, I have no idea because they didn't they don't provide that information um, and and like I said I could not find the actual study for this but um, there's you know lipolysis is not an indicator of fatty acid oxidation rate it's it's just not it's not a surrogate for it um, it uh, you know it, it's it's making the making the fat available for use but your body's only going to use it if you need it gotcha so, and if you have some some glucose around it'll probably use the it'll will use the glucose first uh, which is not a bad thing I don't know where people are getting the idea that it's such a bad thing to to burn that glucose first but um, there's there's plenty there's always always a, a well in excess of the fatty acids that you need um, released into the bloodstream and then um, if you don't use them they get packaged back up and, um, and and you know go back into the fat cells or they can be stored locally in the muscle cells so right right no that's a, that's a fantastic explanation and and I, I do appreciate you talking about the uh, you know really getting down into especially for those listeners who might not be uh, as familiar with research as, as you or maybe myself um, about the trend towards uh, line in the in the graphs or in the in the uh, write up um, because you're exactly right. There was no that means there was no statistical significance, um, and that's an important when we're talking about what can actually be determined from a study like this. So I appreciate you uh, really delving into that and also going into the lipolysis. Um, I'm just curious, why do you think that it's kind of misunderstood that lipoly uh, lipolysis equals uh, enhanced fat utilization? Have you found that there's um, a, a kind of a reason for that, or is Scamming. it just something that people want to believe? <laughs> Scamming. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, it, I I actually had um, finally read the the middle of the road Atkins book. I had never read the 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 new diet revolution one, the one that had come out in like um, two thousand. Mm -hmm. And basically, um, that was Atkins switched from from ketosis being you know kind of a a freebie fat burning, incomplete fat burning, and that you you urinate out you know this incompletely burned fat. He switched from that to to this enhanced lipolysis that that lipolysis was fat burning, and um, everybody everybody does it. Uh, all of the low carb advocates confuse the two, and I it's deliberate because they know the difference, huh? and, and they know that they know that it's that that lipolysis is not fat burning, but um, it, it 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 makes for a nice um, it makes for a nice gimmick, you know, because you say, oh, you know, your your fat cells are releasing the fat, you know, so and they they've created kind of this idea that that insulin has trapped fat in the fat cells and that that your body can't get at it to burn, um, and and that's just simply not true. Mm -hmm. No, it's a great great breakdown, and I, and I appreciate you kind of going into depth about that because I think it's important for for those that are listening, not only for this particular product if they're considering using it, but just in general when it comes to uh, understanding uh, when people talk about you know increasing fat burning, uh, especially when it relates to marathon training or marathon performance, um, or just in general if they want to lose weight, those types of things. So uh, I think really getting into depth about that is is uh, is fantastic. So thank you for that. 
No problem. Uh, yeah. Um. One. One quick thing. Yeah. The, yeah absolutely. For your listeners, the 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 word that they want to look for is oxidation. Okay. So if if you know there are these fat burning supplements and things like that, mm -hmm. um, some of them are not too great to use. Um, uh, but. It, it, it's something it is a fat burner if it really does enhance fat burning it has to do it either has to increase the um, it has to increase the oxidation rate but it also has to increase the overall metabolic rate because if it doesn't increase the overall metabolic rate or the energy expenditure over a 24-hour period of time mm -hmm. then it, then it's not fat burning I mean you can burn more fat for an hour Okay, and then you go back to burning other stuff, whatever it is. Um, it, you you have to look for oxidation rate because that's really the bottom line. You have to have increase in um, fat oxidation rate, and you'd have to have an increase in your overall energy expenditure. Gotcha. No, that makes a lot of sense. And and like you were saying, when we look at the graphs uh, from what we were able to find about the research, that this is when we go back to that statistical significance portion where. Um, the superstarch is claiming that it enhances fat oxidization, but we're not seeing that in the graphs, and we're not seeing that in the, in the summary research. I'm that. also thinking that the numbers aren't there because they didn't even give the numbers. Because yeah, you know, right, a lot right. of times, a lot of times in weight loss studies, you know, they'll say, oh, you know, the 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 low carb group lost, you know, 5.1 kilograms, and the the other group lost only four kilograms. So they say, you know, oh, they're you know lost 25 percent more weight or something like that. But it was not statistically significant. But at least the 25 percent more looks on paper. Oh yeah, they did lose, you know, a couple more pounds in a week or whatever the the time frame is that they're looking at. So. I, I just tend to think that the fact that there's not even any numbers on the oxidation rate mm -hmm. that that someone could say oh yeah six kilograms or per whatever versus versus four you know that that even those numbers are not impressive so that's why they showed the the diagram for the the non-esterified fatty acids um, and and didn't didn't bother with the um, with the with the fat, fatty acid oxidation rates. Yeah, interesting. No, that's a good, that's a great point. Um, so switching gears a little bit, uh, you know, in, in part in part what you've tried to do as well is kind of try to figure out what exactly this super starch is and um, a little bit and uh, learn more about it. Right? And you know, one of the things that uh, I think you looked at one of the white papers where um, it was comparing the ingredients in the in the in the uh, or what the super starch was composed of and comparing it to generic corn starch. Um, and you notice some. Uh, unimpressive data when it came to this comparison. Um, can you explain, you know, what this data means in terms of, uh, you know, what we were talking about from the, the comparing the superstarch to the uh, the basic cornstarch or the uh, the generic cornstarch? Yeah. So yeah. So they compared the superstarch to cornstarch. So yeah, it, it's a mystery exactly what this this cornstarch is. They they uh, in, in their materials they say it's some unique grain uh -huh. but then later on they say it's just cornstarch so uh, corn is not any unique grain that I'm that I'm aware of and they don't give any um, particular brand or type or strain of corn that it comes from so they say that the, that it undergoes some kind of a wet uh, cooking process and uh -huh. um, so then they compare it to the Argo and and a couple of the things that they said. So, so one of the the, the main findings was that superstarch decreased the acute glycemic impact by 13 percent. 
Um, so let's say that you start out from 100 and you go to 200. Okay, that's that's very high. So let's say you start out at 100 and you go to 150 uh -huh. milligrams per deciliter of, of glucose for the regular cornstarch. All right, so um, so you'd go to what 147 or something like that. Oh, right. <laughs> okay, so, so you know, 13% lower lower uh, you know acute. We're, we're, I'm I'm assuming that by that they mean the peak level um, or the, the 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 glucose quote unquote spike that that occurs. So um, that that's hardly very you know impressive to me mm -hmm. and then um, well, just, I, I just want to clarify for the, for the listeners here um, so when we're when you were talking about this and this specific claim uh, you're talking about the glycemic impact so basically the how much glucose the glucose load so how much uh, almost in a sense going back to that insulin response how much glucose is going to be uh, injected into the bloodstream immediately is that correct right yeah um, and so what you're saying is that they compared it to they compared the superstarch to cornstarch and found that it's only 13% less. So again, if you're going from 100 to 150, you're talking about um, a very, very small difference in the insulin spike or the glucose. Right. Spike. Yeah, and and so if you go back to the the other study and just ignore the maltodextrin then for a second, mm -hmm. um, you don't have the superstarch doesn't have much of a of a spike. Okay, at all. So I believe um, it looks like it looks like in the graph it goes from like 100 to just under 120 or maybe 120. Right. So so you're talking 20 units. So 13% um, of 20 units, what two? <laughs> <laughs> two and a half, two, two. So so we're talking that that the superstarch maybe goes to 120 and maybe the cornstarch would have gone to okay. Let's let's be generous and say 125. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're 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 talking about something that would be, uh, you know virtually indistinguishable you know as far as as anything is concerned I mean it it, it would appear that that superstarch is not very much different at all from from the regular generic cornstarch and then the the second one that they the second thing that they they cite is even less impressive it's that the glucose levels were maintained closer to baseline seven hours after ingestion of superstarch minus four percent from fasting versus minus thirteen percent for the Argo, so um, you know, if you're starting at 100, you're talking um, seven hours later, the super starts, you're down to 96, and the and the Argo, you're down to 87. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, that that's kind of a ridiculous thing because who who's going to just I forgot this one was like 75 grams, I guess it was. So, but who who consumes 75 grams of of starch and then just you know doesn't do anything else for seven hours, right? <laughs> um, and and this one again, I think, um, uh, I think I think this comparison was also just um, just eating. I don't think this one involved exercise. I think the only one that involved exercising was that that one with the maltodextrin comparison. Right, and I think that's an important part. Uh, I think when you look at studies as well. I mean, I think, and this is this is goes across pretty much any study when we look at running because that's what we're talking about specifically is. Yeah, we're talking about in these particular studies. They're only talking about people just ingesting it and then basically not doing anything. Um, obviously, the dynamics and things are going to change when people are actually running. And so I think that's sometimes they're making leaps in the, uh, from the literature that um, aren't might not might not necessarily you know make that jump when you when you take it to uh, performing at a high level like when you are at the marathon. Yeah, I mean, I really I think it's 
I mean, I understand proprietary processes and all of this sort of thing, but it seems to me that uh, you know there's a little bit too much um, you know mystery surrounding what exactly the super starch is mm -hmm. because um, I'm not aware of any cooking process that would cause starch to polymerize. I mean, starch you know thickens sauces and things like that because the molecules you know ex they they come apart and then they get tangled up and and uh, trap water in there and stuff like that so um, hey anybody wants to watch that can watch an Alton Brown cooking show he does wonderful uh, wonderful demonstrations of that but um, you know I'm, I'm not aware of any process by which the starch molecule is is elongated and made larger by this so um, I really do not know what's what's going on here, yeah. um, but and um, in the comments on my blog post on this, I had some people mention that that resistant starch came to mind, and this I wrote this post back in like I think it was like two years ago, yeah. and um, you know that that whole resistant starch, which is kind of a big thing in the um, in the paleo and low carb communities on the internet lately, um, wasn't really a big deal back then. But so. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, resistance. Maybe, maybe it's resistant starch. Maybe, maybe they are, um, you know, cooking it and cooling it uh, so that so that it's it's you know creating resistant, more resistant starch and getting rid of some of the 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 starch that that would otherwise um, you know be absorbed more more rapidly. You know, maybe they do some kind of a separation, but mm -hmm. it's all a mystery. So um, you know, we can presume. I mean, it, it seems like it's it's cornstarch that's a little bit ever so slightly less absorbed than than the basic cornstarch that you can buy a tub of for a buck mm -hmm. um, in the in the regular grocery store. Yeah, and 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 that actually uh, kind of brings me maybe to the final point or what I wanted to to inject in terms of this conversation and what you've helped me understand and hopefully what you've helped the audience understand is that, um, you know, again we don't in this particular uh, Evelyn and I I don't think uh, you know really um, recommend or or not recommend any specific product, uh, but what we want to be able to do is to give you the research a real look at the research a, a an unbiased look and to help you make the decision about whether it works for you. And from what I can understand from, you know, especially part of, a, a big part of from this conversation is that um, I don't think that you can provide, or the superstarch provides any real uh, significant advantage to, uh, to marathon performance in terms of what you're going to be able to do in terms of insulin response or a, a quote-unquote a slow glucose um, delivery. Um, I don't think it provides really any of those in any meaningful manner in the sense that it's going to change how you would approach your marathon nutrition. Um, for a lot of people, I've, uh, people have found that UCAN works a lot better for their stomach. Uh, they just either digest it easier, um, and that's uh, perfectly acceptable. And if it's a product that works really well for you and you don't have digestive upset, then it's a great product. But I don't think it necessarily changes how you approach marathon nutrition or marathon performance in the sense that it's not going to change uh, the amount of glucose, the amount of glycogen and glucose that you need, um, or how it's used in the body. Um, so it doesn't change any of the the strategies that you would use to to maintain a strong marathon and to not bonk. Um, and that's what I'm seeing from the research that that we've been able to actually look at. And um, and I think Evelyn would probably uh, agree with that. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think that's probably what you would um, say yeah, or at least, uh, understand. Yeah, I, I would agree with that because it does not seem. I mean. Yeah, I, I had a couple people who who 
do this sort of thing and um, that came in and it contributed to the comments and um, they were talking about the osmolality um, of of the glucose and how that can cause stomach upset and and sort of thing and so then some people I guess uh, because you essentially get more glucose per particle um, that that this can help some people with with gastric distress or mm -hmm. perhaps that the glucose is is kind of absorbed a little bit more slowly so you know it keeps the 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 glucose levels more stable um, I don't know I, I I my gut feeling would be that that maybe you actually want a glucose spike um, when you're when you're feeling you know the, the the energy lagging because it it that just seems to be what I you know have would you know, see. No, yeah, you're exactly well, right. I mean, I mean, why good. would you? Why would you have? A, why would you go and, and suck down a glucose gel in the middle of a marathon if you're a fat burning beast? Um, because you need the glucose. Okay, it's not. It's, you know, so um, you know, and, and if it's going to be going up a little faster and down a little faster, well, then I would think that you'd just have another another glucose gel if it's not unless there's a serious gastrointestinal issue with all of that I, I don't understand uh, why there would be something else it's not really my field of um, you know I, I'm not an endurance athlete and I've never have been um, so you know it's not something that I've experimented with personally but um, you know the one of the the favorite quote-unquote poster athletes for the fat burning beast is Tim Olson and and the uh, Steve Finney did a whole thing about about him winning some some great ultra marathon and um, you know on, on Tim's blog he was talking about how he ran out of the gels that he uses and he ended up drinking a lot of Sierra Mist because I guess that has regular sugar in it um, and so I'm thinking to myself well you know that doesn't sound like uh, like he was worried about his glucose spike he was worried <laughs> about getting he was worried about getting some glucose in him and he didn't have the the stuff that he needed at a certain aid station or whatever and so when he when he could get it in him he he wanted you know he went for the Sierra mist so um, yeah I, I I don't I don't see where it would it would provide any any sort of a an, an advanced you know benefit um, yeah one of the one of the things I think um, that I hear a lot in terms of the question is you know if should I use this product or how does it um, how does it change my approach to marathon nutrition is that because they claim that it's slow, re slow release that they pretty much just take it if they take more of it before the marathon starts then they need to take less uh, glucose during the race um, and I think that and I think that's been at least what we've looked at from the research we've seen that that's probably not true um, because once you get over about an hour it looks like the the, glu the glucose release is almost the exact same as uh, malodextrin would be so um, it's not really going to change how you it's not somehow going to slow release glycogen for glucose and glycogen for you for hours and hours and hours after you yeah I mean I would I would think that it's pretty much about the same as as kinda really carving up and and topping off your glycogen stores I don't think that um, you know in in that study they're talking what 75 grams um, but that one was when that one wasn't the the exercising one um, or was that the one the exercising one I don't uh, know that was but not the anyway, exercising one, yeah. yeah so you know I mean uh, you know even if you were to to have a hundred grams of, of super starch before before the race I mean that to me um, you know just from all the studies that I've that I've seen where they've tried to to look at the capacity for glycogen um, you you could have some kind of a unique uh, strategy to to kind of carb up and 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 
have that hundred grams of glycogen in you. So I, I don't see that it's going to uh, provide any more glucose, like as the as the race, you know, goes on. Unless unless you're, you're absolutely cannot, you know, have unless unless you're, you're going to I guess go through the race without any aid stations, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that to me that would be the only advantage if they ran some sort of a race where you weren't allowed to have anything but pure water. <laughs> okay, you know, for 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 the entire race or salt water or whatever, you know, unless they were gonna have some kind of a of a race where you weren't allowed to 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 fuel yourself any other way, um, then then it doesn't seem like there should be any any advantage for for that. Um, and if anything, I mean, it just from what I what I know and what I've read, uh, it would seem that that um, having high glycemic carbs to to store, you know. To promote glycogen storage would be more a, a better way to go about things than um, than just eating some kind of a slow release because um, you know if it is indeed a slow release it, it, it has to be from slow digestion because it has to be uh, broken down into the glucose molecules to be absorbed um, it's not a, these giant glucose polymers are not being absorbed as is and then breaking down in your blood mm -hmm. they're broken down in your digestive tract and then absorbed so um, if they're if it's taking a long time to digest um, you know you got blood flow going to your digestive system there that's less blood flow going to your muscles I mean I don't know <laughs> you know your, your mom always told you don't don't uh, eat a half an hour before swimming or whatever it was you know uh, for you know for kind of for a reason I guess because it, it does you know when you're digesting food blood flow is is diverted to the digestive tract and therefore away from other things and so if you're if you're uh, in an elite competition where that could make a, a big difference all right it's not going to make a much of a difference for somebody who's going for a stroll around the block but um, I would think it could make you know a negative difference if anything I don't know yeah absolutely no I think uh, I think that's a great summary of uh, a great recap to to what everything we've talked about and what we've seen at the research show so um, I really appreciate you kind of going into depth about this and really taking our, uh, taking the time to walk us step by step through you know what you've been able to find about the superstarch and, and really talking about the research in a way that I think makes sense and I think a lot of listeners will be able to to actually understand and um, and kind of see how it connects from you know looking at a graph to you know what that actually means for them. So I really appreciate you taking the time. And for those that are interested, um, you can uh, check out Evelyn's blog. It's at um, Carb Sanity. Dot blogspot.com and we'll link that up in the in the show notes for this for this podcast so you can go ahead and check it out we'll link to this post that uh, we're specifically talking about um, and then we'll also uh, link to the graphs uh, that we've discussed in this uh, in this episode so that way you can see exactly what we're talking about you can either follow along or kind of look it up afterwards so uh, thank you Evelyn so much for for your time it's it's really really appreciated well thanks for having me on I enjoyed it <laughs>